Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your word that is true and is alive and it is sharp. And that is to to pierce, but in a loving way to come and cut away any lies, any hindrances that would keep us from living and the full potential of your love and the freedom that you have for us. Father, we believe your word is true. And if Someone in here today is not sure if your word is true. I thank you that it would come alive for them today and that they would step into relationship with you and see you as the way and the truth and the life. And so, Father, we thank you for what you've already done. We thank you that you've already been speaking to us. And we open ourselves to you to continue to do so. We want everything that you have for us today because we don't come here to leave the same. We come to encounter you and to leave change. So we praise you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about in the midst. In the midst. In the midst of what? Well, life. How many of you are in the midst of life? Yeah, if you're breathing, you know, you are in the midst of it. You're in the midst of life. These past few weeks, we've been talking about the love of God, about knowing that we're loved by him, about loving ourselves the way that he loves us. And if I'm saying any of these and you're like, ooh, that sounds good, you can go back and listen. It's available for you. So... Being loved by God, loving ourselves the way that he loves us, and then loving the world, loving our neighbor the way that he loves the world. And how many of you know that's a very sacrificial love? That's a love that's very inconvenient. We don't like inconvenience. At least I don't. But a sacrificial love is an inconvenient love. It's the love that shows up in the midst of life Not when everything is all perfect and put away and we feel like we've got it all together. So then we can share Jesus with somebody. It's when we're in the thick of it and they're in the thick of it. It's in the midst. So how do we show the love of Jesus to those around us when our world is upside down or we're running a million miles per hour? We're just like, we're in our day-to-day and we can barely think straight. You're like, did I brush my teeth this morning? I've had those moments. Thankfully, I did today. My power's out, so I brushed them here at church. (laughs) You know, you were in the thick of it this morning with your power still out. And good job, you. You still made it to church. You know, nobody will smell you too closely. All right. Good job. So how do we show the love of Jesus to people when our power is out, we brushed our teeth at church, and life is just going a million miles per hour? Well, I want to look at Acts 27 together today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Acts 27. Have you ever received a word or a promise from the Lord and it took a really long time for that word or that promise to come about? And maybe you're still waiting on that promise to be fulfilled. Anybody? Just me. Yeah. 
Oh, how many of you have received a word or a promise from the Lord? And it did happen, but the way that it happened and when it happened and how it looked and everything about it was completely different than the way that you thought that God was going to do it, the way that you would have done it. That's like 99% of how God shows up for me. <laughs> like, that's not what I was thinking, you know. Well, Paul was told by God himself, okay, the Lord came and appeared to him. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience. If you had, please come and lay hands on me because that's amazing. But, like, Jesus himself, like, shows up to Paul and stands beside him. And he's like, hey, be of good cheer because you're going to go and preach the gospel in Rome in the same way that you've been doing here. Right? How many of you would feel pretty confident if you received a word from God himself standing in front of you and told you that you were going to do something? Okay? I would probably assume that I was going to do that thing like tomorrow. Like God just showed up to me and told me, so tomorrow I'm going to Rome. That would be really nice, God. Um, <laughs> you want to want to come? All right, so he shows up to Paul, tells him, hey, you're going to be going to Rome. He receives that word. But as I was reading in, in Acts, I'm like, oh, cool. God shows up, gives him this word, and I keep reading. And I'm like, now, hold on. Paul's in prison. Okay? And then he's still in prison. And then he's in prison some more. And two years later, after God has appeared to him, he's still in prison. Mm-hmm. And I felt really normal. Like, oh, wow, okay, he got that promise from God himself, and then two years later, he's still waiting to get to Rome. And I've had plenty of experiences where I've received a word, and then I'm still in the waiting. Delay does not mean abandonment. A lot of times when we have a delay in our life, we can think like, well, you know, the question comes up, God, where are you? Did you really say, am I crazy? You know, no, God really did say what he said, and he meant what he said, but his timing is different than ours. So that delay in our timing doesn't mean that he's abandoned you. Setbacks are usually set-ups, okay? Setbacks are usually set-ups, and they're set-ups for your growth, yes. That's so fun to grow, so stretching. It's wonderful. <laughs> so... It is an opportunity for growth for you, but a lot of times what you feel like is a setback is a setup for someone else. What if our delay was a setup for someone else's starting point? What if your delay of seeing the promise fulfilled was because you were supposed to be a part of being at a certain place in a certain time to plant a seed in somebody else's life? What if your delay in your story was a part of watering somebody else's seed, was coming and bringing encouragement to them so you could say, hey, me too? What if your delay was a part of a setup where you could know what it was like to be in that spot, and so you pray for someone and you see the fruit manifest in their life? So we can see delays, but God always sees opportunities. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans 
for welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. When I read this verse, I take it for myself. Anybody else? Okay? And you should. It means it's for you. If you're like, no, well, it is. It's for you. So if it's for me and it's for you, then when I'm looking at that God has plans for a hope and a future for the final outcome, then I can't just think about myself, okay? We have to think of this first like God is also saying he knows the thoughts and plans that he has for your coworker. He knows the thoughts and plans that he has for your family, for your family member, maybe the one you're not talking to anymore. For he knows the thoughts and plans that he has for whoever, the person that you encounter in Walmart, okay? Plans for their welfare and their peace and not for evil to give them hope and their final outcome. So maybe when we stop getting so self-focused, right, which it is, it is for you, but it's also for everybody else around you. So maybe your delay is so you can bring hope to someone else. In the midst of your delay, God is still at work. In the midst of your delay, which I don't think he sees it as a delay. He's like, you're right on time. But for ourselves, in the midst of our delay, God is still at work. Because Paul had the opportunity in those two years to stand before leaders, to be before the people who would come in to hear, because, boy, he had to go to court so many times, (laughs) And the people who would come and attend got to hear. And there's lots of accounts of his day-to-day and conversations that he might have had and prayers that he might have prayed that aren't written down in this passage to know what really went on fully in those two years. But I'm sure in knowing what we do know about his character, then in those two years he took every opportunity to share the truth and the love of Jesus with those around him while he was in the midst of waiting while he was in the midst of awful circumstances. So in the midst of your delay, God is still at work. So Paul loads up and they hit a storm. And he actually, in Acts 27.10, he he tells them, he's like, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster, with much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So he's like, this trip, it's bad. It's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. (laughs) We shouldn't go. We're all going to die, you know. And they're like, we're getting on that ship. (laughs) Actually says it it made the, the captain basically like even more persuaded that they should go, you know. Sometimes there are things that you'll face in your life because of the actions of others, have you ever hit a storm and it wasn't because of a choice that you made, but it was because somebody else made a choice and then that choice affected you? So Paul wasn't like, let's get on board. He was like, we shouldn't do that. And then he still had to go because he was under that authority. And then they wind up in a storm and he's like, well, told you. <laughs> so sometimes we will face things in life because of the actions of others, but that neither catches God by surprise nor derails his plan and purpose for your life or 
the purpose for the people's lives that are involved as well. Because remember, it's not just about his plans that he has for us. And sometimes that's really hard to think that he has good plans for people who are making decisions that affect us very negatively. But that's his kind of love. Not saying he's pleased with their choices. Okay? But he still loves them and still has a plan and a purpose for their life. In the midst of unfair circumstances, God is still God. He doesn't change. God is still God, which means he's still good. He's still faithful. He's still on time. He's still healer. He still love. He still brings hope. He still brings peace. In the midst of unfair circumstances, God is still God. So now he's on this boat, on the ship. They've hit the storm. We're going to look at Acts 27, 13. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had attained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, here it comes, a big storm came, a nor'eastern. We know about those. I was like, how fitting. Well, we just had. <laughs> A big nor'eastern comes. I wouldn't have known what those were before moving to Maine. All right. So the ship was caught and could not head into the wind. We let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the citrus sands. They struck sail and so were driven. Okay, so I don't know anything about boating. Okay, nothing. But what I do know is this is not good. This is not good. They're running around and they're doing stuff. And they're trying to make sure that the boat's not torn apart. And they're fearing for their lives. They're like, we're in trouble. Okay following. All right. So, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the waves were huge. Okay. The next day, they lightened the ships. They're like, we're going to sink, throw things overboard. Thankfully, not the people, but some of this stuff had to go. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So now it's like, we don't care who you are, all hands on deck. Okay. So they're throwing things overboard. Now when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Maybe you haven't been on a boat in that kind of storm, and maybe you have, and that's crazy, and I'd love to hear the story. But in life... I have been through storms where it seems like everything is going to fall apart and quickly running and trying to fix and toss and whatever. What do you want me to get rid of? This, you know, and trying to do whatever I can to stay afloat. Anybody else? And there has been moments in some of those storms where it felt like all hope had been lost that all hope we would be saved was finally given up. Let's take a look at Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. If you're in here and you're feeling, you're feeling that, you're like, yep, that's me right now. It says, why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying, God has lost track of me? It's not asking that like in anger. It's saying, 
Come on, that's not the truth. God has lost track of me. God doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. Who gets tired? He energizes those who gives tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. He gives fresh strength to those who say, I can't do this anymore. You ever been there with God? I have been like, are you crazy? I cannot handle this. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. He says, come on, we're going to make it. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and don't lag behind. Those that wait upon the Lord get fresh strength. I want to take a moment and pray for those of you in here who feel like you've lost hope. Jesus, we speak to the hearts of the hopeless in this room. Those that have lost sight of you in the midst, in the midst of whatever they're facing, whatever they've been waiting for, and we breathe and speak fresh hope and life over them in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for coming now and by your Spirit strengthening them, that they would be strengthened in you, that it wouldn't be by their strength that they would have to try to Find that to go another step, but your strength would come to carry them to say that I've got you and we're going to make it. I thank you, Father, that every lie that says that they've been abandoned, that you don't care about them, or that they've missed out is broken now in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the truth that you are for them, that the plans that you have for them are good, are good. They are good. And that you will see each and every one of them through. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for that truth coming now. And the lies being plucked out. And the truth that they are your son. They are your daughter. They are loved by you. And you have good plans for them. Would sink down deep into their souls. And to their spirits. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In the midst of your doubt in the midst of your questions, because you're going to have questions, he remains and will strengthen you. He doesn't get scared by those questions. He remains and he will strengthen you. It says, but after a long absence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them, which means he went and he was spending time with God to get a new perspective. When we're feeling doubtful, we're feeling afraid, we have to go back to get the right perspective. We have to go back to the Father. In the midst of fear, remember who is with you and for you. It says, after a long absence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Parents, you know. 
you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. I tried to tell you. And now, because he doesn't go, so your loss, I'm being saved, and the rest of you shall die. That would be the Candace version. All right. So he doesn't say that. He's like, okay, I told you and you didn't listen, but now, and now I urge you to take heart. He said, be encouraged. Have courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, which why would he tell him not to be afraid? Unless what? He was afraid. <gasps> Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Christians get scared too, you know. Even really good ones. So <laughs> he came to strengthen him with the word to remind him of what had been spoken. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, again, not just like you must be brought, but everybody else, they're goners. Nope. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Granted means forgiving, to do a favor, show kindness unconditionally, give freely, grant forgiveness, pardon or restore. It comes from the root word grace. God could have very easily been like, you go hop on the lifeboat and I will send a whale to take you to shore. And the rest of them are going down with the ship, you know. They didn't listen. No. Because Paul was in their midst, it made a difference for the final outcome of every person on board. Because you were in your workplace, because you were in your family, because you were in this state, because you were in the city you were in, it can change the outcome for everyone around you. Come on, guys. That is good. That is an unconditional kindness and loving goodness of the Father. That is grace. When you deserve to go down with the ship, and he saves you anyways. When you are not walking with him, and he saves you anyways. When you're trying to do your own thing, and he saves you anyways. You know why? Because he loves you anyways. What blessing are the people around you experiencing because of your favor with the Lord? Also, just to take a moment, if there's somebody in here and the structure that you have set your life upon is crumbling, it's going down, and you feel like you're on the ship that's in the middle of the storm and it's being torn apart and you're just like, I'm going down with it. This is the choices that I've made. That's it. God says that's not it. He's not done. So the structure that you've built your life upon, that's got to go because it's not taking you where he has for you. It's not taking you in the direction of life and life more abundantly. So the ship's got to go that you've been traveling on, but 
he has sent his son to come and rescue you and to be the ship, to be the way forward into life and life more abundantly for you. And that's the loving kindness of God, that he says, you don't have to be destroyed here. There is hope. And all you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus. Just believe he is who he says he is and give your life to him. The spectacular thing is what he did on the cross. So you're not looking for spectacular language. It's just, God, here I am. I believe you are who you say you are. I give my life to you. Forgive me. Come and wash me. Make me new. Pull me in as a part of your family, and it's a done deal. That's the goodness of God. In the midst of this mess, there is still hope for you today right now. So he says, take heart, men, for I believe... I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. In the midst, let faith arise, which means what? Go back to what he said. If you're like, I don't have faith. Well, what did he say? Because his word is alive. Go back to that. Repeat that. Say the promise. Say the truth over and over and over and over again until it takes root and you begin to believe that. You begin to think that truth and act on it. So after hearing this, God's like, don't worry. (laughs) Paul's like, God said everyone will be saved. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. You know, be encouraged. Some people still tried to jump ship. Are like, that's nice. We're out of here. He's crazy. Did you see those waves? See this boat? See, we can say God loves you, but how are we showing the love of God to people? We can say God is healer, but are we taking the time to pray with them? We can say God really cares about you, but are we taking the time to listen to them? We can say He's always there for you, but are we showing up when they need someone to show up? Are we being the hands and feet of Jesus? Because Paul said, hey, it's going to be all right. But it wasn't until he took some action that they actually believed were strengthened and encouraged. And verse 30 says, as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship... They had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. And Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So some of them were like, we're getting in the lifeboat. We're going to take our chances away from the ship. So Paul tells the soldiers, if they go, uh, you all go. And so they went and cut the lines. (laughs) You're not leaving. All right. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Okay, so they're in a really bad storm. They've thrown the majority of things overboard trying to stay afloat. They haven't eaten in 14 days. They are a lively bunch. Does anybody want to be a part of that? Mm-mm. That's a bad, it's a bad two weeks. I get hungry if I'm just a little bit late for lunch. So Paul says, therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, 
since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, so he went from talking now to action, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 267 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, everyone had had their fill. They lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So the first thing that he does is he gives thanks in the presence of all of them. The word thanks is adoration and praise. He begins to worship God, not just in private, because there was time for that. He went away and he prayed and he waited for what the Lord would say. But then his private encounter, his secret place, became public. Okay? The secret place has to go public. Has to. So he goes public, and he begins to thank God in the midst. You know what thanking God does? There's even, like, scientific studies just about what being thankful and grateful does and how it changes your brain, right, and does good things. It's like science and is like, oh, the Bible was right. (laughs) When we are thankful, it begins to shift our thinking, but it also is the way that we enter into the presence of God. He's always with us, but when we enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise, we open up for ourselves the understanding and realization that we are in the presence of God no matter what we're in the midst of. This is also the thing that Satan does not want you to do, is to enter into thanksgiving when you're in the thick of it. He's hoping to silence you. So when your response becomes praise and thankfulness, even when you don't want to, when all you want to do is sit and complain because you've got a very good reason to, but you say, yet I will praise you. There's a whole bunch of that in Psalms. Where are you? (laughs) Yet I will praise you. I'm looking to you, God, the author and the finisher of my faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But you begin to thank him. God, this doesn't feel good, but you're good. God, I don't see your faithfulness, but you are faithful. You are who you say you are. If you want to punch the enemy in the face because of what you've been going through, thank the Lord. In the midst of everything, give thanks. He began to give thanks, and it caught the attention. And actually, a lot of scholars believe that what he did right here in the middle of the storm and the ship falling apart and nobody has eaten and they don't see a way out, that he took communion. Right in the thick of it, took communion. That's normally not my first thought, you know? It's more like, you know, Kevin from Home Alone, you know? And that's what everyone else is doing. But he paused because he had been with the Lord. And then he brought his communion with the Father in the midst of the crazy. That's what you're called to do. 
to be with him in the secret place and then bring the peace, the hope, the love, the joy of the Father into the thick of it. To have communion with God even when the world is going crazy. Right in the middle of it. And when he did that, it brought encouragement and strength to everyone. I believe they stopped and watched him. What is this guy doing? We should be freaking out, you know. Why is he giving thanks? Why is he giving thanks right now? Why, what is he doing with that bread? You're counter-living. Your different reaction to how you're supposed to respond, could respond to what's happening in the world, catches the attention of the unbelievers around you. Then, not when they ate, but when they saw him, his relationship with the Lord, then they were strengthened and encouraged and then also took food themselves. Well, I guess if this is working for this guy, how about I get some of this? Freely you have received, freely give. We can't hoard all of this in the secret place. We have to give it. We have to give it. We have to come to the place where he says, I urge you to take nourishment. This is for your survival. Where we say, I urge you to take from the bread of life. This is for your survival. You can't do it without him. There has to be an urgency to want to see the salvation of people around us. And if there's not, We just got to get back with the Father so that we can get his heart for those people. We can't say, I'll praise him in private. I'll thank him in private. I'll speak to him in private. Yes, do that. But we also have to remember he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Bring the good news. Set the captives free. What happens in private with you and the Lord can shift atmospheres in public. It can begin to change hearts and minds. That is so powerful if we can let that sink in. Paul's obedience, thankfulness, and his communion with the Lord brought encouragement and strength to people who had lost all hope. Your walk with the Lord can do the exact same. In the midst, Jesus. In the midst, Jesus. Jesus loves to show up in the midst of life, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, in the midst of our business, in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our mundane, in the midst of work, in the midst of family. And that's where you, you have this little communion. Don't open it. Because <laughs> you're going to take it home with you today. And you're going to take this communion in the midst. In the midst. You know, the first communion happened in the midst. It says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. It wasn't like on the perfect day with the birds singing, when everything was fine and he had a front row seat in the synagogue, you know. No. It was on the night he was betrayed. It was, I mean, it was the best night of our lives. It was the worst night for him, even though he was willing was horrible. He knew what he was about to endure. He was being stabbed in the back by one of his best friends. And I don't know about you, but when I've 
been in a situation where my world feels like it's falling apart, a relationship is failing. I'm not thinking like, oh, and then let me think of these others, you know. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And I believe for myself the reason why he chose to share communion with them in that moment in the midst is because he knew that at one point, at many points in our life, we would be in the midst too. He wanted to give us the key to hope in the midst. He wanted to give us the key to faith in the midst, the key to loving in the midst, the key to trusting in the midst. You know what that is? Remembering him. That's the key. Remembering him. It's the way to bring hope, peace, freedom, mercy, love, joy, salvation into your workplace. It's the way to bring hope, peace, freedom, mercy, love, salvation, joy into your marriage, into your family. It says in Psalms 139 that there is nowhere that we can run from his presence, that even if we made our bed down in hell, he would still be with us to be in our midst. So the key to make a big difference with how we're going about life, because he's always with us, is just to acknowledge him is to remember him and then not to keep him to ourselves, but to say, how can my relationship with the Lord bring hope to the hopeless right now, bring peace, bring prosperity to this business? Kind of think bigger. Think the way that the Lord does. And you have the mind of Christ, so that's possible. So we're going to take this into the midst. And Don't put it into your pocket and forget about it and wash it because your wife won't be happy. It's got grape juice in it. (laughs) But carry this with you today. And I don't want this to be just like, oh, okay, well, when I'm in a car. No. Ask the Lord, where is the midst of where you need to remember him? Where is the place where things are stormy or chaotic or you've just gotten into the routine of doing life without him, without remembering that you need him, without inviting him in. So Holy Spirit, where is the midst that you want me to bring this communion with you, to acknowledge you, to remember you, to remember the power of your blood that was spilled for me and for those around me, to remember your body that was broken for me and for those around me, where you want me to remember the power of who you are and reveal yourself in that situation, in that place with those people. So you have homework, all right? All right, let's pray. Father, just like we just said, show us, Holy Spirit, show us the midst that we're in. Maybe it's right in the middle of our home, Maybe it's in the car before we go into work. Maybe it's during a lunch break that we're taking this communion. Maybe it's while kids are running around and it's in the thick of motherhood that we're taking this communion. Maybe it's with our spouse before we go to bed. Reveal to us the place where you're saying, remember me. Remember me. Now the storm didn't stop. The ship sunk, but everyone on board, not a hair on their head, 
was touched. Your word still remained true. And we thank you, Father, that your word remains true for us, that all of your promises are yes and amen, even when it looks like everything is going horribly wrong. You are still in control. You are still greater than. You are still the I am. You still have a plan. So, Father, we remember you. We recall the power of your blood that was spilled for us, the power of your body that was broken. Father, let it strengthen and encourage us and then strengthen and encourage those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.